Tonight, we will be in the book of Hosea. In my opinion, I just want you to know, in my opinion, there are very few books in Scripture that are more gut-wrenching and beautiful all at the same time as the book of Hosea. In studying for Hosea, I didn't know whether I wanted to throw up, cry, or just hang on to the feet of Jesus all at the same time. If that's you tonight, I hope you don't throw up in your mask. That's going to be gross. <laughs> but before we move on, and we do have a lot to cover, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, you are the only one true living God. Lord, you are the giver of all good gifts, especially and ultimately in your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for allowing us to be here and open your word this evening to hear from you. Lord, please give me the words to speak this evening and give us the minds and the hearts to hear from you. All for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as you read through the prophets, you'll see that there are several common themes among the prophets. The first theme being the prophets affirm that it is God speaking through them. They also affirm that God has chosen Israel for his covenant purposes. And while that is true, the prophets also declare that Israel primarily has been disobedient and sinful and they have rejected their God. So the prophets not only call out Israel and their sin, but they also proclaim and prophesy the upcoming judgment that will take place to Israel. And in that, they don't just leave it there. The Lord speaks through the prophets, not only to proclaim the judgment, but also the fact that there will be future restoration for the people of Israel, ultimately in Jesus Christ. And Hosea is second to none in how it describes both the steadfast love of God and the ugliness of man's sin. And in Hosea, God does not mince words. He doesn't sugarcoat how ugly and repulsive our sin is. Nor does Hosea hold back from describing the Lord's steadfast love that he has for his people. And throughout Hosea's prophetic ministry, Hosea depicts Israel's unfaithfulness with a number of images from family and nature. In the, the familial illustrations that he uses, he refers to Israel as an adulterous wife, an indifferent mother, an illegitimate child, and an ungrateful son. And though Israel is sinful and wicked, Israel's sin is not the main point of Hosea. The main point of Hosea is God's steadfast love for his chosen people. Don't miss that tonight. Israel's unfaithfulness is not enough to exhaust God's redeeming love, a steadfast love that we struggle to comprehend and get our minds wrapped around. And as the Lord's bride, Israel, Israel is in a covenant marriage, a covenant relationship with the Lord. And even though their covenant is with the Lord, Israel has begun to also join themselves to the Baals. Baal was the weather god of Syria, a uh, Palestine area who supposedly had control over fertility and rainfall and productivity. And since Israel, ancient Israel was primarily an agricultural country and nation, they thought best that they should go on ahead and add Baal as one of their deities that they would worship so that their crops would grow, that they would have agricultural success, thus their economy would be good. 
Israel didn't dismiss Yahweh. Okay, you need to understand this. In their minds, they didn't just dismiss and reject Yahweh. They just added Baal to their religiosity. That would be like me saying to my wife, like saying to Ariel, honey, I love you, and I get to enjoy sexual intimacy with you. But this other girl over here, she promises the same thing. She can also help me out with that, so I'm going to have her on the side as well. Let me tell you something about Ariel. She's a redhead. I ain't going to fly, nor should it. It would also be like us saying that our salvation is in Jesus, and we know that God is the giver of all good gifts. But we're going to continue to lie to our boss just to make sure we can still secure our paycheck. It would be like we understand that our ultimate treasure is in the Lord, but we're going to compromise our obedience to the Lord in order to gain acceptance from our culture. The worship of Baal was not just a violation of the first Ten Commandments. It wasn't just a violation of have no other God before me. It was more than that. It was a betrayal of the intimate and endearing union that God had made with Israel, with his people. Idolatry, therefore, is depicted as spiritual adultery. A transgression against the marriage between the Lord, Yahweh, and Israel. And even though the Lord would be completely just to divorce Israel, or he would be completely just to destroy Israel, punishment is not ultimately what the Lord desired for his people. He desired that they would leave their adulterous ways and that they would return to the one who first loved them, the one that truly provided for them. Don't miss this tonight. Hosea is a love story. Throughout Hosea, it is sometimes difficult to understand who it is that's talking, whether it's Hosea talking to Gomer, his wife, or if it's God talking to the nation of Israel. While it can sometimes be unclear throughout the book who it is that's speaking, one thing is very, very clear. And it's that the Lord loves his chosen bride with a steadfast love. And that he will do whatever it takes to pursue her, though she is undeserving of his love. And to understand the message of Hosea tonight, it's important to understand how the Lord loves. When the Lord revealed himself to Moses on the mountain, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. That brings us to our big truth tonight. The Lord's love is steadfast for those he has chosen. The Lord's love is steadfast for those whom he has chosen. And coming out of that, we have our first big idea. The Lord loves his people because of who he is. Upon redeeming the, the Israelites out of Egypt, the Lord said, I will take you. I will take you. They weren't taking him. He was taking them. He was choosing them. He said, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out, of, out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. 
in Leviticus, I will walk among you and will be your God, and you shall be my people. There was nothing that Israel had done to earn God's love. There was nothing appealing about them in comparison to the beauty and the holiness of God. In fact, Israel had already proven to be quarrelsome and adulterous right after he delivered them out of Egypt. Remember that? They worshiped the calf. They make the golden calf and they worship the calf and proclaim that that calf's what delivered them. From the very beginning, they showed their adulterous ways. But the Lord loves his people because of who he is. He even tells the people, the Israelites, Know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, not because of them. He said, for you are a stubborn people. The Lord loves his people because of who he is. The first five books of the Bible, they detail the beginning of this love story. And now we fast forward in time, five to 700 years down the road to the time where the nation of Israel is now divided into two kingdoms. There's a northern kingdom and there's a southern kingdom. And Hosea is a man who lives in the northern kingdom, a kingdom that has begun to worship Baal alongside of Yahweh. And the Lord is going to speak through Hosea and he will use Hosea's family life as an illustration of God's relationship with Israel. And we'll see that the father and husband role depicts the parallel between Hosea and God. We'll see that the wife and mother role depicts the parallel between Gomer and Israel. And we'll see that the children are the people of Israel themselves. We pick up in Hosea chapter 1 verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Berah, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. The word of the Lord came to Hosea. And when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take to yourself a wife of whoredom. He's saying, go take a woman who's proven to be promiscuous. All right, so in the very beginning, we'd see that she's a train wreck. And this marriage is a train wreck just waiting to happen. But the Lord says, you go choose her. He says, take for yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of the Blam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Because Israel has continued to be unfaithful to the Lord, she is now being compared to a wife of whoredom. And I know some of the language in Hosea can seem offensive to us. But just so you know, our sin is much more offensive to a holy and righteous God. I think that's the point. Israel had begun to trust in the false god Baal to provide for her, when in reality it was the Lord, her husband, who had provided for her, as he promised that he would. When the Lord established his covenant with Israel, when he entered into that marital covenant with Israel, he said, if you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains in their season. And the land shall yield its increase and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. It is the Lord who had provided Israel with her food and her wine and her oil and her clothes and her money, just as he promised her that he would. 
Hosea 2.8. And she did not know that it was I, the Lord, who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil. And who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for the bell. See, not only was Israel now trusting in Baal to supply her needs for these things, she was also taking the good gifts that the Lord had given her, and she was taking those gifts to go worship a false god. Hosea 4.1 goes on even further. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. For the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. No knowledge of God in the land? How can that be? You ask yourself, how could that possibly be? How can the nation that God rescued from Egypt now not even know who he is? Because they began to worship a version of God that they created. A God that would be okay with an open marriage that allowed for an adulterous relationship with Baal. Yahweh, however, was not that God. He was the great I am that says, and I will walk among you and you will be my people. And you shall be my people. And he is the one true living God who commanded his chosen people. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. This God doesn't share his people with anybody. In Exodus 23, he says, you shall have no other gods before me. You see, Israel had proven to be an adulterous bride who no longer has an intimate relationship with her husband. The Lord says this of Israel in Hosea 6.10, In the house of Israel, I have seen a horrible thing. Ephraim's whoredom is there. Israel is defiled. See, God's going to use Hosea's marriage to be a picture of his relationship with an adulterous Israel. And as we see this, I want you to understand something this, this evening. It's not morning, it's evening, right? Is that the primary purpose of your marriage is not your happiness. You need to understand that tonight. The primary purpose of your marriage is not your happiness. The primary purpose of marriage is to glorify God and to be a picture of the gospel. That's why Paul writes in his letter to the Ephesians, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and, and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Our marriages are to be centered on Christ and reflect the gospel. 
Hear me tonight. If you are thinking about divorce, don't. Don't. Choose to remain married. Choose reconciliation. And I know what you may be thinking. Well, you don't know what my wife or husband did to me. You don't know how much tension there is in our marriage. He doesn't even want to pay attention to me. He doesn't help out with the kids. He no longer pursues me. My wife no longer is interested in pursuing sexual intimacy with me. She just acts like I'm her friend. My husband or my wife committed adultery. Church, while scripture does allow for divorce in the case of adultery, it allows for it. It doesn't command it. It doesn't command it. Jesus said, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. God created marriage. He did not create divorce. And I understand that sometimes the adulterous person does not want to reconcile. I get that. But when they do, I ask you right now, what's a better picture of the gospel? Reconciliation and restoration or divorce? Some of you may be tempted to check out even during this message of Hosea because you're single and you're like, this just doesn't apply to me. Maybe you've never been married. Maybe you're a widow. Maybe you've been divorced. But this picture of marriage in Hosea is still directed at you because there are no religious singles in the economy of God. You are either faithfully married to Yahweh or you're a prostitute. You're either the faithful bride of Christ or you are the whore. In our sin, we are Gomer. We need to understand this. And Hosea, he obeys the Lord, right? He obeys the Lord. He marries Gomer and she conceives a child. Chapter one, verse four. And the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel. For in just a little while, I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of, in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again, and she bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, call her name, no mercy. I couldn't imagine calling my daughter no mercy, but I didn't love her. For I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, call his name, not my people. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. See, Gomer has three children. The first is Hosea's. Based on how scripture writes of the other two, I'm not sure that the other two are, and I don't think Hosea knows either. And we see the names of first. God tells him to name the first Jezreel, which is a prophecy of God's judgment is coming soon, and it's going to be violent. The little girl, they call no mercy because God will no longer have mercy on Israel. And the third child is a boy named not my people because Israel will no longer be Yahweh's people. I mean, just think about the little girl, no mercy. She was the illustration in Hosea's sermons to the people of Israel. 
The people heard that terrible name, and they no doubt they whispered to one another and said, can you believe what they named that girl? I don't know that she's Hosea's. Gomer must be cheating on him. That little girl's not really his. But what was true of the little girl was true of Israel. No mercy was a living sermon to proclaim that the people of Israel were illegitimate child of Yahweh. Obviously, Israel did not turn back in between child two and child three, or this third child wouldn't be called not my people. But the children of Israel were the children of a nation then gone after Baal. They could not expect grace from Yahweh. The name no mercy and not my people calls attention to this estrangement between Yahweh and the people. The adulterous nation of Israel had given birth to a generation of illegitimate children that had no right to call Yahweh their father. And even though Israel had separated herself and her children from the one true God, the Lord promises redemption for those he loves. Let's hear that again. The Lord promises redemption for those he loves. Chapter 1, verse 10. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint themselves one head. And they shall go up from the land, for great shall the day of Jezreel be the day of Jezreel. This is similar to what the Lord spoke through the prophet Ezekiel as well. We see in Ezekiel chapter 37. Then say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will take the people of Israel from the nations among which they have gone, and I will gather them from all around and bring them to their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be king over them all. And they shall no longer they shall be no longer two nations and no longer divided into two kingdoms. They will no longer be the north kingdom and the south kingdom. They shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols and their detestable things or with any of their transgressions. But I, the Lord, will save them from all their backslidings in which they have sinned and will cleanse them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. My servant David shall be king over them and they shall all have one shepherd. And we know that shepherd is ultimately Jesus Christ. And they shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. The promise of redemption was great news. But it wasn't just great news for the, for the children of Israel. It was great news for us today. Paul writes this in Romans. Even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. That's us. And indeed, he says in Hosea, he quotes Hosea, those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. Church, this is great news for us today. As Gentile children who are undeserving of God's love, we have been adopted by our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. We could stop right there and just praise God for that right there and, and just walk out the doors right now, and that would be enough. Let's continue to read. Apart from Christ, we need to understand that we are Gomer. In Christ, we are the bride of Christ. 
that has been washed clean. Apart from Christ, we are the prostitute. In Christ, we've been washed clean. The Lord promises redemption for those he loves. The Lord also calls those he loves to a life of repentance. Hosea chapter 2, verse 1. Say to your brothers, you are my people. And to your sisters, you have received mercy. Plead with your mother, plead. For she is not my wife and I am not her husband. That she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts. Lest I strip her naked and make her as in the day she was born. And make her like a wilderness and make her like a parched land and kill her with thirst. Upon her children also I will have no mercy because they are children of whoredom. For their mother has played the whore. She has conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water and my wool and my flax and my oil, oil and my drink. See, the Lord is telling the children of Israel to denounce their mother. He's saying that they must set, apart, set themselves apart from her, lest they suffer the same fate that she does. And we see in the third verse that the Lord is using two different metaphors that work together to explain this. The first metaphor is of an adulterous woman being stripped naked by her husband. This is not... This naked woman is, is, is not, this is not a sensual picture. She's being humiliated before everybody. She's being abandoned to her fate. There's no one to protect her. Hosea says, it's on the day she was born. It points to her nakedness and helplessness as a baby. The second, the second illustration is the land becoming a desert. Okay, the land is being stripped down. It's incapable of supporting life and is being deserted by those who once dwelt there. And God will leave the people to their fate and the land will revert to the wilderness. And we see that in this section of scripture, the, the two metaphors, they actually merge together. And when the woman of the first metaphor will die of thirst in the desert of the second metaphor. And the point is that Israel is going to lose everything. Israel is going to lose everything. The land will be emptied and the people will go into exile. And this illustration also makes it very clear that it is Yahweh who controls the rainfall. It demonstrates his sovereignty over the very things of which the Israelites turn to the bells for. And in verses 1 and 2, the children of Israel are to recognize and denounce their culture for what it was. The sinful ways of Israel. And this is not an easy task to ask the children to do. Because no one wants to admit that they're part of a culture that makes so little of the one true God. It's not easy for us to live in a culture and admit that we live in this culture that likes to say that we're Christian, but worships a false God and allows, a false God that allows for a high view of man and a low view of God. That's often what our culture wants. It's difficult to admit that we are a people who often commit sin and then we say that the Lord placed the desire on our heart that led us to sin. We proclaim the lie that the Lord placed something on our heart that was contradictory to the truths of Scripture. So many times I've heard of a man leaving his wife. You're like, well, the Lord just laid it on my heart. Just I fell in love with her. How dare you? How dare we? We say things in the Lord's name to justify ourselves. It's hard to call someone within our own tribe to repentance. It's often even harder to admit that we ourselves are Gomer. 
the Lord calls those he loves to a life of repentance. Discipline from the Lord has redemptive purposes for those whom he loves. We'll see that just as Hosea prophesied that the Lord does destroy Israel, he takes away her crops. She gets taken into exile. Make no mistake, the Lord is punishing Israel for their disobedience and their sinful idolatry. But his punishment of Israel has redemptive purposes for Israel's good. Yahweh will prevent Israel from pursuing other gods so that she might recognize that he is the one supplying her with her food and her covering. The Lord is going to bring agricultural disaster upon Israel. He's going to take back what he's provided this whole time. And he's going to do this in front of her lovers, her false gods. And these false gods, the Baals, will all witness Israel's misfortune, but they will be power, powerless to do anything about it. Their helplessness before this judgment of Yahweh exposes them as the false gods that they are. Hosea chapter 2, verse 11. And I will put an end to all her mirth, her feasts, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and all of her appointed feasts. And I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees, for which she said, These are my wages, which the lover... My lovers have given me. I will make them a forest and the beasts of the field shall devour them. And I will punish her for the feast days of the bells when she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with her rings and jewelry and went after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. See, the Lord is calling Israel out for her sinful religious beliefs and practices. See, she worshiped the bells, but she also continued to observe these rituals for Yahweh the feasts, the new moons, the Sabbaths. Israel's understanding of God is skewed, the fact that he will actually accept that. It's like someone today who comes to church every Sunday and every Wednesday, celebrates Christmas and celebrates Easter, but who actively pursues pornography or actively pursues an adulterous relationship or who chooses disobedience to the Lord to get ahead in this world. God will not tolerate that. He will not allow you to have other gods before him. And the Lord foretells of Israel's coming judgment through Hosea. You can read more about it through chapters 8 through 13. We ultimately see it come to fruition. 2 Kings 17.6, in the ninth year of Hosea, the king of, the king of Assyria captured Samaria. And he carried the Israelites away to Assyria and placed them in Hala and on the Haber in the river of Gozan in the cities of the Medes. Discipline from the Lord has redemptive purposes for those whom he loves. He does this today. The writer of Hebrews writes it this way, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. That's one of the last steps of church discipline if you've ever seen that. It's based on what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians. You are to deliver this man to Satan. This is somebody who has, is living in unrepentant sin. You are to deliver this man to Satan for destruction of his flesh. Why? So that he, his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. The Lord allows us to be destroyed in our flesh in hopes that we will come back to him. The Lord punishes Israel in a way that allows her to see, that the, Lord, see the Lord for who he truly is. Her loving husband who provides for her. The purpose to drive, Israel, to drive Israel is to confess her need to return to Yahweh. We also see in Hosea 2.17, For I will remove 
the names of the bells from her mouth. And they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping way, things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and the war of the land, and I will make you lie in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth to you, you to me, in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. The Lord calls those he loves to know him, to know him. Mark Dever writes it this way. To know God implies the deepest relationship with him. It is to love him, to be one of his people, to abandon all other gods, and to be eternally wedded to him. The promise of these two verses anticipates the new covenant promise. Israel will be bound to Yahweh in an unbreakable covenant, and all people from least to greatest will know him. The Lord calls his people to know him, and he will do what it takes for his people to know him. And in love, the Lord redeems his people by the blood of Jesus. Hosea 3.1 And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man, is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. Now, church, don't worry. He's not talking about the little Debbie raisin cakes, okay? You can still eat those. It's not what he's talking about. The raisin cakes Hosea describes here were used in pagan worship. But God tells Hosea to buy Gomer back and to continue to love her. So Hosea, the one who's been cheated on, embarrassed publicly, sinned against, he says, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. This is probably the price of a slave at that time. What you need to understand is Gomer's hit rock bottom. She's spent, she's homeless. She's apparently owned even by another man. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man so I will also be to you. God is going to continue to love his chosen people with his steadfast love, not because they deserve it, but because of who he is. The children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. See, there will be punishment for Israel in which there will be wonders in a foreign land. But the Lord is going to use this time to refine them, to draw them back to himself. This time I'd like the team to come on up as we get ready to close out. Like Gomer, we too are in our sin. Apart from Christ, we've been spent, used up, we're homeless, and we've been a slave to our sin. Church, apart from Christ, we needed purchased. We needed redemption. And in love, the Lord redeems his people by the blood of Jesus. Paul writes in Ephesians, in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. 
Peter writes this, knowing that you were ransomed for the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus paid for us. He paid for us in our sin. Just like Hosea paid for Gomer when she was spent and used up. She was on the auction block as a slave. Gomer paid for her, to redeem her. We, a sinful people created in the image of God, who've rejected God, slave to our sin, Jesus crawled up on a cross. He paid for us. I want us to close out this time. I want to talk to two different people. For the Jesus follower in this room, are you truly following the one true living God of the Bible? Or are you following a version of God that allows you to follow after the idols of your heart? What idols are in your life that you must flee from in order to truly love the God, Yahweh, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind? If you're following a different God that you've created, I beg of you to pray and to call out to the Lord and repent. For the unbeliever in the room, do you see your brokenness, your need for salvation? Apart from Jesus, you are just trusting in the false God of self-reliance, comfort or something else to be your God but those things can't give you real life only the one true living God can do that maybe that's you and maybe you feel like you've just gone way too far you're like you don't know what I've done you don't know the gross sin that I've done maybe you're sitting there thinking that God won't save you or he can't save you God's word proclaims to us that Jesus is enough to pay for our sin. He will save you. Just call out to him in faith and repentance. Place saving faith in Jesus Christ as your savior. Repent of your sins. If that's you, we ask that you don't leave this evening without talking to us. I'll be back in the hub. We'll have people here. Don't leave without talking to us. We want to talk to you about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Church, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are good. Lord, you have pursued us with a steadfast love that we can't imagine. Lord, has nothing to do with us or who we are. Lord, it's all about who you are. Lord, may we surrender to you knowing when we surrender to you, we're surrendering to the one true living God who loves us who's gonna provide for us in Jesus. Lord, please convict us, convict us of our sin in areas that we may be following a false God of our own creation. Lord, may we be a people that reflect you. We do that in our marriages, in the way we just follow you. Lord, please make us a people that truly love you all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We ask this in Jesus' name.